But these two women feared the Lord and, and didn't do what Pharaoh commanded them to do. Didn't, didn't kill the male babies. They just couldn't. You're asking an awful lot when you ask a woman to kill a baby. And so when Pharaoh called these two in, they gave them the, the wise excuse. It's a lie, but it was wise. They said that the Hebrew women give birth so quickly that by the time we get there, they're gone. Wasn't true, but it got them out of hot water. But Pharaoh wasn't done. He decided in his rage to make it fully public throughout the land of Egypt that when a baby boy was born, throw it. he gave this order not to the midwives, but to all of Egypt. You see a baby boy, you throw him in the Nile. Throwing him in the Nile wasn't for the sake of drowning the child. Because we know who lived in the Nile. Crocodiles. This is the context that women got, Hebrew women got pregnant in at this time in Egypt. With a 50-50 shot. If it's a girl, I get to take her home. If it's a boy, it's, it's food for the crocodiles. You talk about anxiety. You talk about anxiousness. You talk about a good reason not to get pregnant. I have found that when a woman wants to get pregnant and have a baby, that's a stronger force than the crocodiles of Nile. It is a powerful thing that will not be denied if nature will allow it. It's within that context that we pick up the story in chapter 2 of Exodus. Now a man from the house of Levi, Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and of all things bore a son. Uh-oh. It's a boy. No blue, no blue balloons no announcements, they were in trouble. Notice the woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that it was, he was a fine child. We'll look at Hebrews in a minute. In the New Testament, it says he was a, a beautiful child. Now, all children, all babies are beautiful. But some babies are more beautiful than others. Now, when the pastor goes to the hospital or sees your baby for the first time, it's always a beautiful baby. It really is. It really is. It really is. <laughs> I often tell this story. John hates it. I'm sure when I do, when he was born, he was not a good-looking baby. He lost his hair around the top. He had hair around. He looked like Mr. Magoo. In fact, the nurse held him up. Look, Mr. Magoo. But I told him he cleaned up real well. It's better to start a little bit rough and get purdy than start purdy and get rough. Amen? Good looking man now. But when he started, there's no preacher going to lie to me, man. That, that baby wasn't good looking at all. But this baby, this baby was beautiful. I think it's more than the features of his face and body. I think he was a sweet baby. I think it was a, a sweet disposition. You know, you mothers know, especially if you've had more than one. 
Some of them come along and they're just sweet. You know, they're just sweet. And some of them come along and when the first time you hold them, they just don't fit. You know, they just, it's awkward. They just, you know, they're a little bit rough. They're tough with you. They're strong-willed. All babies are good, but some of them are a little easier to handle than others. They tell me Addie's a sweet baby. Every time I babysit her, I have a hard time, but <laughs> must be me. It's me. I'm doing something wrong. Notice verse 3. So she hid him for three months. Now, how do you do that? You've got to have a good baby to hide it for three months. And crying going on, sleeping all night long. When she could not hide him any longer, she took with him a, she took for him a basket made of bulrushes. That's long, tall weeds growing in the water. And daubed it with bitumen, uh, the King James says slime and pitch. She made a little boat, if you will. Notice she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the riverbank. that's the same river the crocodiles are in I think this is an area that's pretty safe but there there he is floating in the Nile and his sister Marion older sister stood at a distance to know what would what would be done to him now I love this story and I'm just gonna read it because it's just one of my favorites and I know it's yours too now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river while her young women walked beside the river, maybe watching out for crocodiles, watching out for whatever, but she's taking a bath down there. And she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her servant woman, and she took it. Baby three months old in the basket. When she opened it, she saw the child, and behold, the child was crying. She took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. She knew by the tone of its skin and by the look of it that it was Hebrew. Egyptians were much darker. This was obviously a Hebrew child, and she could tell. And she took pity on him and said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. And when her, his sister, Marion, then her sister, his sister came down and said to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Do you love this? The mother's not far off, but the sister's closer. Now, before I tell you the rest of the story, I want to brag about how smart you women are. You really are. Hands down, you're, you're four times more intelligent than we are. Not only that, ladies and mothers, you are more intuitive. You can fashion a plan and you can figure stuff out. You can see it all. And we admire you for that. We really do. Notice verse 8. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the, child, so the girl went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, the child's mother, take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Now, that's a pretty good deal, isn't it, Mom? Somebody to pay you to breastfeed your own child. That's good stuff. Let me ask you a question. Don't you think the daughter of Pharaoh 
knew that this was the mother of the child? Don't you think he could look in the eyes of the sister and say, that's her, that's her brother in the basket. Mom shows up. You're intuitive. Like you know it's... And yet the daughter gives the child back. This is, this is, this is a phenomenon that still goes on today. It's women watching out for women. It's moms watching out for moms. It's women having each other's back in a male-dominated society that has always been throughout the ages. Here you have some jerk on the throne, Pharaoh, her father, but he's, she's got to know he's a jerk for, for killing these Hebrew babies. She knows that's the mother, and she not only gives the child back, she says, look, wean the child probably close to a year, and then I'll take the child back. This is women watching out for women. You know that's the case. Let's stop the story there. Well, let's, let's finish the story. So the woman took the child and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter. And he became her son. Notice she named him Moses, not the mother. The word Moses means to draw out. That's what it means. Because I drew him out of the water. Now, before we close Exodus and run quickly to Hebrews, let me make a point to you. I want you to see. How difficult was this for Jochebeth? You got eight months. That's all you get with the baby. You got a year or less. At, three, at birth, this baby's life is at risk. And yet you take your life in your hands to, to, to take care of this baby for three months. And then you devise a plan to hand him over to Pharaoh's daughter? To float him in the river? And then you get the baby back. You, you, you've lost the baby in your heart one time. You're over on the side. Your heart's breaking. You're crying. Your, your own daughter might even get killed by Pharaoh's daughter. Miracle upon miracles. You get the baby back. But you'll get the baby back with the, with the asterisk, bring him back after he's weaned, and you'll lose him forever. Do you, do you feel her pain, ladies? You moms? This is anxiety to the hills. And I ask you, what possible influence can you possibly be over this baby? What possible influence can you have over a child you didn't even get to name? Who was raised in Pharaoh's household of the world. You got less than a year. You couldn't, you couldn't teach him anything about Jehovah at all. No biblical influence. No spiritual impact. There's nothing. The baby goes off. You'll never see it again probably. Or see it at a distance. Well, go with me to Hebrews if you will. Hebrews chapter 11. Let me, let me show you what happened to Moses, and then I'll make one big giant point, and we'll send you off. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. The book of Hebrews in the New Testament, chapter 11, verse 23. Let's see how this little Hebrew child who got shipped off to a pagan castle, turned out in the end. 
of a mother who had no spiritual influence at all in his life, directly. Chapter 11, verse 23, I'll read it for you. By, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents. See, Amrad, the father, had something to do with this too. Because they saw that the child was beautiful. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. I love that. Don't forget that. They weren't scared of the king or his edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, look at the decision he made. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You have any idea what's, what power that is? Egypt ruled the world this, this time. He was going to be the son of Pharaoh's daughter, ruling Egypt as a pharaoh. He turned his back on wealth, riches, prosperity, fame, the honor and glory of a god. He refused it. Why would he do such a thing? Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He could have had anything he wanted. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. I ask you, where did he learn that? For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king. Where did he learn that? For he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Where did he learn that? By faith he kept the Passover, sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Where did Moses learn that? Are you ready? This is the big ball of wax. This is the big, this is the big point. She had no opportunity to train and teach this boy, and yet look at how Moses turned out. He turned out this way because he, listen to me, he knew what kind of mother and father he had, he learned it from people. He learned it from his exterior family. You will think at teenagers, he heard the stories of his mother and father and the sacrifice they made and the kind of people they were. He knew by word of mouth, by people talking in his ear in Pharaoh's castle, how his mother and father had no fear of Pharaoh at all. And that's how he learned not to be afraid of Pharaoh. He heard the stories. Your kids ought to know your story. Your grandkids ought to know your story. I'm reading Landon now, the story that my mother wrote down of her mother and life and how it was back when. And he listens with just open ears and open eyes as he listens to their lives and their, the death of babies in their family and their walk of faith. Listen, parents, I think, it's, I think it's way over, way oversold this idea of what kind of parent am I going to be? What kind of parent am I going to be? What kind of parenting style am I going to be? How am I going to deal with my kids? How about the parenting thing? It's not about the parenting thing or grandparenting thing. It's the kind of person you are right now. Because that is what they will look to when they're grown and gone. They'll look back and they'll see a person who loved Jesus Christ first and foremost and at times made decisions that caused them to be unpopular and hated by the, by the lost world. That's a life of heritage. 
That's what they're going to see. That's why Moses turned out like he did. You know there's children born into Christian homes with Christian parents who go to Christian churches and listen to Christian preachers. And when they get to be 16 and 17, they have absolutely nothing to do with Christianity and don't want anything to do with Christianity. And I think without me telling you, you know the reason why. I'm not even going to say it to you because you know. Lord Jesus, we thank you for moms today. We pause and just give you thanks that you instituted the family and you, in your infinite wisdom, gave women the deep capacity to love and nurture and care for the little ones among us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for my mom. I thank you that when I went to see her, Lord, and I opened her Bible, it was filled with scribbling and writings along the margins. And I thank you that that had a great impact on me. That when I went to her funeral, that women cried uncontrollably at that funeral because of my mom's death and what she meant to them. I thank you for that. I pray for every mom here today and every grandmother that you give them not necessarily great wisdom in how dealing with their children, but I pray that you give them a passionate love for you, a walk with you that's rich and deep and real, so when the kids get to be 17, they can look back and, and know that it wasn't a church thing, it was a Jesus thing. 